Hey, I wanna welcome all of you who are joining us online right now. Our service is going to get started here in just a bit. But for those of you who are joining us online, we miss having you here in the room with us. We have a socially distanced seat ready for you, and we hope that you will prayerfully consider joining us in person once again. Registration for our in-person gatherings open each Sunday prior at 2 p.m. at westridge.com reopening. This Christmas is gonna be a Christmas unlike any other. So many families and individuals have suffered job losses and illnesses right here in our very own community. And church, one of the best ways we can put Jesus on display this Christmas season is through Hope for Christmas. Here are three ways you can share the hope of Jesus at Hope for Christmas, all from hopeforchristmas.com. First, you can sign up to serve right here at the church on December 12th, or you can donate toys, coats, and food, or you can make an online financial gift, or you can do all three. You can also purchase Hope for Christmas shirts, tree ornaments, or coffee mugs via the online shop at hopeforchristmas.com. Hey church, let's step up in the most uncertain Christmas season we've ever seen. Let's serve our community well, and let's put Jesus on display. Also, we are expecting God to move powerfully through this year's gift offering. The gift offering is an offering that we take once a year where we challenge everyone in our church to give a gift to God greater than any single gift you give to anyone else at Christmas time. With these gifts, we're tackling a number of things ranging from church planning in places like Scotland and Detroit and Boston and right here in our own hometown of Atlanta. We're also wanting to add on to our existing building a special needs facility just for our children and students and young adults with special needs. And we are doing everything we can through this gift offering to meet the needs of people in our very own community. Would you pray over what God would have your family to give to the gift offering this Christmas season? You can find out more information about the gift offering at westridge.com slash gift offering. As always, to keep up with all things Westridge, head over to westridge.com or any of our social media channels. And now, on to today's podcast episode. We're in a series on James that Pastor Brian has kicked off for us over the last couple of weeks. We're in a series that we've called Authentic, as in authentic faith, as in the authentic Christian life. And so most of your small groups are not meeting this week, but I, I hope that you'll go back and, and check me on some of the things that you hear today and maybe get to discuss them at home. If your small group is not meeting, or, but for everybody, you can join us tomorrow morning on the Next Steps podcast, which gives you kind of a feel of what it would be like to talk through this with some of our staff members and, and hear them pick apart everything that I'm about to say, which they have a lot of fun doing. So, but uh, you can join us for that. So just in case you don't know, just to bring everybody up to speed, Pastor Brian's already talked about this a little bit, but James is the brother of Jesus. Now we would say half brother because of course with Jesus, God the father is his father. And then with James, he is a son of Joseph and Mary. But here's the important thing you need to know about James. James was not a believer in Jesus. James was not a believer growing up in Nazareth. He didn't believe his brother when he heard the teaching, when he either saw miracles or heard about miracles. But to be honest, I'm willing to cut James a little bit of slack, okay? Because I'm an only child. But for those of you that have siblings, if your brother claimed to be the son of God, what would you do? I mean, really and truly. So I'm willing to cut James a, a little bit of slack, but there's even another element of this because you, you may imagine that around Nazareth, the word about Mar how Mary got pregnant and came to conceive their firstborn son, uh, Jesus, 
was not really accepted. Like when you say the spirit of God conceived a child in me, everybody pretty much looks at you and goes, yeah, right. In fact, the Pharisees even used this against Jesus as a, in an argument later on in his ministry. But you need to know this if you don't already. Jesus was really considered to be an illegitimate child because people just didn't understand. They didn't believe in the circumstances around his birth. So think about that for his brother. Jesus is actually the one who brings shame to the family name. And so as they grow up together and then Jesus goes off into his ministry, James is not a believer in Jesus until after the resurrection. And then the apostle Paul actually points out, and I love that he points it out in 1 Corinthians 15, seven, that after Jesus was resurrected, he talks about all the different people he went and saw. And he notes that Jesus made a point to go see his brother, James. Now, what must that conversation have been like? Didn't think I could do it, did you? No, that's not what he said. That's probably what I would have said. But I just, I just paint this picture to remind you, this is something so important. Never forget or diminish or discount the humanness of Jesus. He's 100% God, but he's 100% man. He has emotions, he has a family, and he makes a point to see his brother. And at that point, or sometime right around then, James is transformed. And James becomes one of the earliest and loudest voices in the early church to proclaim salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Why does this matter? Why this context? I, I want you to understand that James is written kind of early on. It's written before a lot of the issues start creeping up into the church that the apostle Paul deals with in later years. These writings are from some of the earliest days of what it means to be a follower of Jesus from a man who is done doubting and now he is all in. James will be straightforward and not apologize for his directness. Have you ever been going through a circumstance and you, you call a friend for coffee and you call this particular friend, not because you really want their advice or not because you really want their opinion, but you just wanna go share about a real circumstance with them, maybe come away with, with something to do, but really you, you're sitting down with them because you just kinda wanna feel better about yourself when you leave the coffee. Yeah, that's not when you call James. James is who you call when you're going through a circumstance that's really important and you need someone who is not going to pull any punches. He loves you, but he might hurt your feelings just a little bit telling you exactly what you need to hear. That's James. In fact, he's already started in, in the first part of chapter one that we've already looked at. He says, your faith is going to be tested. It's not always going to be easy. He says, don't doubt because then you'll come across as someone being tossed around in the waves. That's kind of weak. He says, don't be double-minded. It makes you look unstable. He says, you're going to be tempted and there's going to be lust and you're all going to be tempted with lust at some point and it's going to involve every single one of you. So you may as well just put it out there that you're going through that because the worst thing, this is my commentary, because the worst thing that the believers could do is to pretend like they don't have similar struggles. And by the way, G James says this, if you give in to lust, it will kill you. So he's pretty direct. And then at one point, I love the statement he makes talking about God the Father. He calls him the Father of lights. And he says, there's no variation or shifting or shadow. James doesn't see gray area. James sees light 
and dark. I'm the brother of Jesus. I didn't believe in him until after the resurrection, but now I'm here to tell it like it is and I'm not going to waste your time. This is James. And today we're going to look at the rest of chapter one. It's 10 verses. And these, in these 10 verses, there are several phrases that each carry their own weight and could be emphasized themselves, each of one of them in themselves for entire messages, honestly. But I see a thread throughout these 10 verses. Let me read the first one and then I'll go ahead and tell you what I think the thread is and we can apply them together. James chapter one, verse 19 says this. James says, this you know, my beloved brethren, or sisterin. He says, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James says this, this you know. James doesn't walk into the room like the person who is out of touch and treats you like you don't know anything. You know these things already, these things I'm about to tell you about, you know them already, but I want you to give your active attention to them for just the next few moments. You know this, James would say, you know this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. And here's the first one. He says, be quick to hear. Some of your translations say swift. Some of them say ready. I, I like that one. Be ready to hear. Make it your pursuit to understand rather than be understood. I know I can be guilty of wanting to talk before someone else is done talking. I can be guilty of trying to listen to two conversations at once. I don't know if anybody else has that going on, but that's just, that's just me. That's my own private battle. Not, I'm sure nobody else does that. Nobody at all. But that's what I do. And James says, no, be quick to hear, to understand what's coming out of someone's mouth, to hear their whole thought, to understand their background, show some empathy, know what's going on in their lives and why they've come to the point that they have and why they're saying that in the way that they're saying it. Understand them before you seek to be understood. You know, the composer Beethoven wrote some incredible things, but maybe his most popular would be Symphony Number no. 5 and C minor, Beethoven's fifth symphony. Now I want you to imagine with me, if you will, for just a moment, a busy, bustling crowd, perhaps lots of background noise being created just as it's created when we're all walking through this room together or out in our atrium, people just having lots of little conversations, kind of getting settled into their seats. And there's just kind of this white noise going on in the background among the men and women in Vienna in 1808, anxiously awaiting something they have never heard before. And then for the very first time, just so you understand what they heard and you make sure that we're all on the same page, for the very first time, the entire world hears this. Come on, I want you to feel it with me. You can feel it, come on, it's, it's here. No, it's there, no, where is it? It's coming, it's coming again, you're gonna feel it. All right, stop that for a second before I really embarrass myself further. But those first four notes entered into history would never ever be forgotten. But the first note you hear when Beethoven wrote his fifth symphony is not the first note. It's interesting that he would do this, brilliant man. The first note that you hear is actually an eighth rest. The first note in Beethoven's fifth symphony is a moment of silence. Why? Because Beethoven wants your full attention. Scientists would say this rest actually cleans out your ears in ear cleaning and prepares you for what is coming. 
Listen, in our noisy and distracted world, we are losing our ability to listen and be present. And it's impacting our ability to understand what someone says and what they mean. And it's not just one-on-one, it's happening all throughout our culture. Listen, the next time you're in a conversation with someone and the thoughts that start going through your mind or maybe what you're thinking now, like, I, I get it, I, I get the gist. You can just move on for, if you want to, you know, just, just I, I get it. When that's going through your mind, I wanna encourage you to replace that thought with this thought, three words. Take your time. Be present with someone. Take your time. Take your time with your friends. Take your time with your neighbors. If you're married, take your time with your spouse. If you have kids, take your time with your kids. Hear everything that they have to say first and be slow to speak. Not hearing someone completely and jumping to conclusions leads to frustration, misunderstanding, and anger. And James says in the very next verse, the anger that comes from you just cutting somebody off and trying to get all your words out is not a godly and righteous anger. So this is the first of one of these sort of proverbial statements that we are gonna cover today here in the last part of chapter one. And so let me just ask you a question with this one. Is there somebody you need to pay attention to today? Is there somebody that you you just cut off all the time? It's just a habit. You don't even really mean to. But could a willingness to lay everything else aside and give someone your attention change your understanding? Could it change your relationship? Could a conscious decision to take your time and be present with someone change a friendship change a marriage, change your relationship with your kids. So that's the first one. Here's the next one. I'm going to say this now for James, even though he doesn't say it every time, but here's what I believe he intends. So he says it again, you know this, you know this. Verse 21, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now here's where my mind goes with this particular little proverbial statement from James. Listen to me now, and this is not the most popular statement. Holiness matters. Holiness matters. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, he says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Where is it written? It's written in Leviticus. And Peter brings it now into the church age, into the modern age. And he says this, listen, holiness matters. Holiness does not mean perfection. We can't accomplish that. Thankfully, Jesus has done that for us. But the word holy means to be set apart, follower of Jesus. It matters that you are set apart, that you act differently, that you think differently, that you are mindful of the words that come out of your mouth, mindful of your thoughts. In Mark chapter seven, Jesus refers to our thoughts as something that moves out of our heart. And Jesus puts our thoughts even in the same category as adultery and stealing and murder. You may think to yourself, you know what? It's all up here. It's not hurting anybody. But you know what? You talk to yourself more than anybody else talks to you. So be careful to know what is going through your mind. Guard those, hot, those thoughts, take them captive and make sure that you are even in control there, that you're even giving God control there because from your thoughts 
come actions and words and lots of other things that can absolutely nullify your walk with Jesus if you're not careful. I want to read to you, and they're not going to put it on the screen, but I want to read to you really sort of a a poem from the Old Testament. It's Isaiah chapter 35, and this is just where my brain and my thoughts and my study took me this week. And I want you to hear this. Listen to it very carefully. This is an incredible passage. There is so much life. There There are so many good things happening in this passage. And I want you to pay attention to the road where good things happen. This is the road where good things happen. And I'm reading it from the message version written by Eugene Peterson. Isaiah 35 says this, blind eyes will be opened and deaf ears unstopped. Lame men and women will leap like deer. The voiceless break into song. Springs of water will burst out in the wilderness. Streams will flow in the desert. Hot sands will become a cool oasis. Thirsty ground, a splashing fountain. Even lowly jackals will have water to drink and barren grasslands flourish richly. Where does this happen? There will be a highway called the Holy Road. Not Holy Roller, the Holy Road. He keeps going. He says, no one rude or rebellious is permitted on this road. It's for God's people exclusively. It's impossible to get lost on this road. Thank goodness. Not even fools can get lost on it. That was for me. There's no lions on this road. No dangerous wild animals. Nothing and no one dangerous or threatening. Only the redeemed will walk on it. The people God has ransomed will come back on this road. They'll sing as they make their way home to Zion. Unfading halos of joy circling their their heads. Welcomed home with gifts of joy and gladness as all sorrows and sighs scurry into the night. I want the holy road. Holiness matters. And here's what I want you to understand today. The Christian life is not about what is subtracted from your life when you choose to be holy and set apart. The Christian life is about what God wants to add to your life, the abundant life that he wants to give to you. I want the holy road. And without reading this poem over again, let me tell you what's on the road. Healing and joy and provision and protection when we set sin aside and receive the word of God, which is the second part of this little proverb from James. He says, receive the word and plant it because it has the power to save your souls. That's how he closes the thought. It's God's word we receive, James says, in humility. No one likes to be told what to do. But when we sit down and read our Bibles, transformation takes place over time. James would say, you know this, you know this. But every time we read our Bible, it's like a seed planted. And that seed will eventually grow and produce something good in your life. And how does that save your soul? Because if if you've spent time reading it and let those seeds be planted and nurtured and grow, then when you come to a crisis moment, you will have something real to fall back on. But you will need more than just information. You're gonna need it to be something real. So then James would say, so you know this, you know, you know this. But pay attention for just a moment. Verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror 
For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he is immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. He's immediately forgotten what he looks like. What an interesting illustration James gives us. He says, don't be a hearer, just a hearer who delude themselves. You're deluded. You, do you know anybody like this? Who you would say they read the, now don't call them out and don't get too judgy in your head, okay? But you know that they read God's word. They know God's word. They read it over and over and over again. But in their life, there is a lack of faith or joy or kindness or holiness. In fact, maybe even a lot of times they are the opposite of those things. They are just filled with doubt. Maybe they are just plain old mean. Don't say their name out loud. Let me add to James's illustration for just a moment, what he says about these people. Have you ever done this? Have you ever looked in the mirror and seen that you just have something massive in your teeth? I mean, the whole head of lettuce just stopped, right? It's like you didn't even chew or a giant peppercorn has just set up camp in your mouth. Now, would you ever look at it and just leave it? I mean, once you know it's there, would you just leave it and then go share your gladness with the world? I mean, really and truly, all anybody's gonna be able to think about is your teeth or what's there. And they're, they're trying to tell you and you're like, no, I know it's good. No, it's not. It's not good. That's what James is saying. Don't, don't be like that person. This was like to read the word and then do nothing with it. In verse 25, he adds to this one. He says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty or freedom would be another word there and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but actually doing something with it, this man or this woman will be blessed in what he does. The words of this book, my friends, the words of this book produce life, but it will not be by osmosis. It will not be accidental. When you read this book and then do what it says, let me give you just a few. Forgive those who hurt you, love your enemies, Love your neighbor as yourself. Bear one another's burdens. Give back to God so that he can give back to you, pressed down, shaken, rolling over, all the things. When you walk the holy road, then you will be blessed with joy and healing and provision and protection. It's all available to you. You will uncover the promises and the plans of God for your life when you turn information into action. And then you'll discover that you've got something real you are walking around with. So let me ask you a question about this little proverb from James. When's the last time you read this book or heard God's word and actually made a change with your life? When's the last time you were more than a hearer? You were a doer. See, for a lot of you, you've been around this book for a long, long time. And our tendency can be, if we're not careful, to kind of be like, yeah, I know. I've read James before. I get it, Pastor. I've heard that illustration before. Or you can sit down and read it on your own, and I hope that you do, and go, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get around to that. I'll do something about that later on. It's like looking in the mirror and just walking away. And James says, listen, I know you know, but this is how the supernatural, spirit-filled, God-inspired, abundant life works. We hear it and we do it. 
We hear it and we trust it. We hear it and we obey it. And day after day, something real is produced in our lives. Just a couple more of these Proverbs today as we get to the end of chapter one. Verse 26 says this, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, this one's gonna be fun. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. I told you he's not gonna pull any punches. But what comes out of your mouth can make your discipleship in Jesus, at least other people's perception of it, worthless. People who just wanna hear themselves talk and just wanna get all their words out, no matter how smart they are, are just unproductive. It's not product, it's not adding value. I mean, they spent hours. I say they, because I'm sure you've never done this. They spent hours getting all their words out for that perfect Facebook post, thinking that they are going to make themselves look good, make themselves look smart, solve all the world's problems. And what do we do? I'll tell you what I do. I just scroll by it faster than they were able to type the first word. Listen, we can tell when it's God's thoughts or just your own personal mind dump. And the worst part of it all is that you have the spirit of God inside of you. You have God's words inside of you and they are not being heard. You are allowing your own personal thoughts, your own personal mind dump. You're allowing what James says, your tongue to just nullify all of it. And the worst part is that it causes people outside of the faith who hear us act like we're entitled to be able to say whatever's going through our mind. Because in fact, I'm feeling entitled in a conversation with somebody because of what they said to me first, because of how awful they were to me first. You know what? Because of how awful they were, I'm now entitled to be awful to them back. That's in the Bible somewhere. It's not in James 1, but it's gotta be in there somewhere. I mean, that's how we act about this. And the worst part is that people outside of the faith, they look at us and go, seriously, that's the, that's the Jesus way? So when it comes to, I know this one's not any fun, but when it comes to this, are you more careful to share God's words or are you more concerned about making sure you get out all your words? Okay, that one was fun, so we can't end on that one. We gotta end with one more. James says this, verse 27, James says, you know this, you know this. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James says, you know this, but let me call your attention to this for just a moment. Stand and fight for the fatherless, the homeless, the loveless, the oppressed, the outcast. James says, he uses the word visit. In other words, go out of your way to check on them in their distress. Just don't be nice just at Christmas, but go out of your way to check on them. Put your focus and your energy on the needs of people who would fall into these categories. And so many people know the beginning of verse 27. So many people have heard this quoted. 
Pure religion is taking care of widows and orphans. I mean, that's, that's kind of how we shorten it. But if you really meditate on verse 27, James uses three words I think he's trying to call specific attention to because it's kind of redundant. It's like he says the same thing three different ways so that we'll catch it. Pure, undefiled, unstained. If you pay special attention to defend those who cannot defend themselves, it will benefit your life. It will help you stay on the holy road. It won't make you a holy roller, but it will put you on the holy road. What's on the road? Joy and healing and provision and protection. This will be key to slowing you down and helping you listen to someone completely before you decide to speak yourself or before you get angry. This will be key to helping you put aside sin. This will be key to helping you receive the word of God. Then you will be blessed in all you do and make your belief something real and not just information. If you will pay attention to this and not just walk away, your faith and your belief in God will be worth something more in this life. It'll be worth sharing with others. In fact, people will come to you and say, what do you got? Because I need a little of that. Pure and undefiled religion will keep you unstained by the world. It will transform you. So let me ask you the question. When's the last time you went out of your way for the fatherless, for the abandoned, for the abused, for the unloved, for the outcast, for the oppressed? It's Thanksgiving week. For me, there's just more of an ease to Thanksgiving than to Christmas. That's because all I do is show up and eat. I don't have to do any of the cooking. I don't have to worry about it. But it's just Thanksgiving, just, I don't know, it's just more relaxed. But when we have this moment at Thanksgiving, I hope, and I'm, I'm sure you do, I know you know. But we have this moment where we all just stop and say, thank you, God. We are more blessed than we ever thought we would be. You're so good, God. And we're just filled with gratitude for the people that we're with, for the things that he's put in our hands. But if that gratitude is just momentary, it doesn't mean very much, does it? You know this, you know this. Gratitude is the seed. Actually, gratitude is the launching pad of generosity. And as we move into this season, as a church, we are so intentional about seeking out the widow, the orphan, the unloved, the abandoned, the abused, the oppressed. I mean, it starts with hope for Christmas. I don't know if you're crazy enough to go shopping this week or maybe you're on Amazon or whatever it is that you're doing. Can I encourage you with something? Make your next gift a gift that will bring hope to a child, to a family this Christmas. Make your next gift, maybe one that that child can give to a caregiver in their lives. I, I tell you, we're, being, we're so intentional about this principle in James 1.27 as a church corporately. I mean, our... 
gift offering that feeds our vision fund this year, you're gonna be so proud to be a part of these things. You're, you're not gonna believe the things that God has put in front of us. And we've said yes, and God has provided. And he's continuing to provide. We wanna say yes to more, but it kinda depends on what you do as we give together in the gift offering this year. But beyond this, beyond what we do corporately, beyond hope for Christmas and vision funds and and gift offerings, you know what I think? I think God wants you to not just be a part of his church where great things happen. I think he wants you to put it into practice in your life. So this year, as all the gratitude floods your heart and your soul, would you just say, God, who can I be generous to for all that you've given to me? Make it personal. Go out of your way for somebody. And Thanksgiving won't just be a moment of gratitude, but it'll transform your life and somebody else's as well. Would you bow your head with me today? I know we've looked at a lot of Proverbs, so to speak, from the end of James, James chapter one. And today, I just wonder how this is landing on you because you probably, everything that you heard today, I would say along with James, I would say, you know this, you know this. But would you let the spirit of God just speak to you? Maybe God has laid something on your heart and mind that I didn't even talk about. That's evidence that the spirit of God is at work in your life. Would you respond to that? Maybe there was something today, I'm speaking specifically right now to those who are followers of Jesus. Maybe there was something today where you said, yeah, I need to be reminded of that today. Don't be a hearer only. Be a doer. What does God want you to do with that? Allow his word to transform you today. Maybe you're here today and you are like pre-resurrection James. You don't believe in this Jesus. You've been around it a lot because of where you live, maybe because of your family, maybe because of who invited you. But today there's something kind of pulling at you. Today there's something different going on inside of you. There's something different going on in your mind and your heart. Can I just tell you, that's God. That's an invitation from him to say, hey, I sent my son to die on the cross for you. If you would believe that, if you would confess it with your mouth, then you might become a son or daughter of God. This is what I created you for. If today, if you in this room or watching online would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, would you just pray? I'm gonna pray kind of a sample prayer, if you will, but you just pray as God lays it on your heart to say, Father God, I come before you in this unplanned moment to respond to what's happening inside of me right now. Today, I make a choice to tell you that I believe that Jesus came. He died on the cross for all the mistakes that I have made. And I confess that I've made plenty. He came and he he died on the cross for those sins and he rose from the dead that I might have this abundant life that the scriptures want me to have. So God, I give my life to you. Show me what's next. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if that's you today, if you put your faith and trust in Christ for the very first time, would you take out your phone or 
whatever device you've got if you're watching at home. And would you text us and let us know so that we can come alongside you right away? I want to give you the number. It's 770-222-2125. 770-222-2125. And then just type the word follow as you have decided to follow Jesus and to trust him with your life. God, today, I pray that you would continue to transform us, that all the seeds of this word from countless sermons, from countless days of reading your word, God, would transform us into something new, something that you can use in ways that we never saw coming. Unfold your plans and your purposes for us, God. Help us to see you at work in our lives and in the world and to share you with others. We'll give you all the praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.